baby. James chapter 5. We got like, uh, we got one more week after this one. Dude, that's way too tall. Um, we got one more week after this one uh, in James. And next week, we're going to be finishing up this series. And uh, this week is week 10. So it will take us uh, 11 weeks. So right on. Um, how many of you guys have been here for every single one of the uh, Wednesday nights when we've done the James? Like every night that we've done it, stand up. Like I just want to see you like perfect attendance through the James series. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. That's impressive. Uh, as always, if you, you guys can sit down. As always, if you guys have missed it, you can get on the podcast. The podcast information is actually on the little bulletins we hand you on the way in. Get on the podcast. Find the ones you missed. And uh, study the book of James, and it's, it's, uh, it's going to be beneficial. So here we go. James chapter 5, let me pray for us, and, and we're going to do this. Right on. Missed you guys last week, man. Missed you. Did y'all have fun? Yeah. Woo! Come on. Come on. Okay, let me, uh, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for these students. Thank you for the fact that they're here. Lord, thank you that you brought us together um, to experience you, to experience you speaking to us through your word. And so I pray, Lord, whoever we are, if they, whether this is our first time here, whether we've been here for every single night of this James series, whatever the case may be, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would move, that we would encounter you tonight, Lord Jesus, because it is all about you. The Bible is all about you. You are the hero of the story in every single book. So Lord, reveal yourself to us tonight. Would we be different when we leave? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, last week, last week I was absent I was actually, uh, I was in West Virginia preaching at a summer camp, and it was a, uh, pray the roof doesn't cave in, um, it, was a, it was a cool experience for a lot of different reasons, um, but here's what was, here's what was awesome about, about the week is that uh, towards the end of the week, the uh, high school pastor, really cool guy named Ben came to me, and he said to me, like, during the day, it was like during free time, he said to me, he said, Anson, um, do you want to go shooting with us today? And it's the first time I've ever been asked that question. Thank you, in the back. Um, it's the first time I'd ever been asked that question at a summer camp. So I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean, shooting? And he said, well, we're going to go down to the, to the bottom of the mountain. There's like a, uh, where you can kind of a skeet shooting, the clay pigeon thing, the clay disc, where they shoot them out. And you, you shoot those. He goes, do you want to go with us? And I'm like, bro, honestly, um, thanks for inviting me and stuff, but um, you might be able to tell, it's been a long time since I held a rifle, and I, you know, I'd rather not pay 40 bucks to make a complete fool out of myself when I can actually do it for free right here, and he said to me, he said, actually, I'll pay for it, so I'm like, dude, I'm in, absolutely, I'm going, cool, you're paying, okay, sweet, awesome, um, and so I decided to go, so um, me and Ben, and then the middle school guy, um, and then all, like a bunch of the guy volunteers, we all ride the shuttle down, and we get down to the, uh, to the gun place, right, and so they, they kind of, you get in a single file line, they, they, they usher you into the room, and then they, they hand you, first thing they do is they hand you a medical release form, and you basically sign the release, and the release basically said, uh, if you die, you won't be mad at us, right? And so you, you sign that, you give it to them, and then what they do is they hand you a, a big, huge, massive camo vest, so I put on this vest, it was huge, and then they give you like all these shells, so each one of us got like 24 sh- uh, shotgun shells, so we put all the shells in our pockets, um, and then they hand us the gun, like a 12-gauge shotgun, okay? So I'm actually holding it like this. This, right, going, I have no idea what to do with this. And then the guy starts to, he proceeds to give us instructions uh, for the gun, right? 
And so he, he, and this guy, by the way, you should have seen him, man. He was awesome. He looked exactly like Chuck Norris and sounded exactly like Billy Bob Thornton, right? So it was like this really crazy, I would shut my eyes and think I was watching Sling Blade. It was awesome. So, so anyway, so I'm looking at him and, and, and he says to us this, he goes, uh, he says, first of all, whenever you're not firing the gun, keep the safety on or it's going to go bad for somebody. Bad things will happen. Second of all, always hold the shotgun up in the air unless you're actually shooting on the shooting range. Always hold it up in the air or bad things will happen. I want you to leave with a face today, right? He says, third of all, you got to understand like the shell, and I'm glad he said this. I would have known this. He said the shell, the metal part of the shell always goes to the back. Don't put it towards the front. Bad things will happen. You will jam the gun and you'll buy me a new one. Right? And so he's taking us through these instructions. And then finally we go out. And I'm on a team of six guys. I'm shooting second. We kind of decided the order. So I was going to shoot second. And here's why I'm concerned. Like I'm honestly concerned right now. Because I found out that I have um, an inner redneck living inside of me. Who like will, will like come out. And in a given situation the inner redneck will make himself known because here's what happened as we're shooting like as this is happening I found that every time I would hit one of the clay discs like every time I'd hit one the inner redneck would get more and more loud um and so here's what and by the way I hit a lot like I hit 15 out of 25 baby right 15 out of 25 yeah totally I'm gonna buy a shotgun um and so, I, so, like, seriously, like, this inner redneck is making himself known. So, you know, you, you go clay pigeon shooting, you go clay shooting, you got to say pull, because he's got the machine. You say pull, he pulls, and the thing goes, taking off to the air, and you have to shoot it. So I'm like, uh, so here's kind of the progression of this thing. You know, as, as the more I started hitting them, the, the, I started to turn into the morph, into this redneck, because I'm like, uh, at first I'm like, okay, pull, bam, all right. Pull! Bam! Woo! Pull! Bam! Pull! Bam! Play some Katie Chastity past the grits, right? I mean, it's just like this inner redneck come and i'm not kidding i'm not kidding like it was weird and then so we go to the next station and it was funny because we go to this station and uh, there's a it's a big field with a shed in the middle of the field just this lone shed out there and the guy says i got more instructions for y'all so listen here's how this is gonna work he says to us he goes i'm going to the shed i'm going to get in it i'm going to shoot some clay pigeons straight up you shoot at the clay pigeons. Now listen, this is very important. Do not shoot the shed. <laughs> I'm in the shed. If you shoot the shed, I will die. No one has ever shot the shed before. Don't be the first one. Right? So here's the thing. He's giving us throughout the day, we're getting these very, very basic instructions okay now here's the point to all this um one of the reasons that the book of james is so powerful and hopefully you've seen this over the past 10 weeks is that the book of james is filled with very 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 basic instructions as to what it means and what it looks like to live the christian life 
okay, to live a life that is all about Jesus. That's what the book of James is all about. Very, very basic instructions. And tonight it's more the same because tonight in the scripture that we're looking at, we're going to look at what James says a Christian's response should be to suffering. Okay? What our response should be to suffering. And so here's the deal. You guys, uh, hopefully you've opened up to James chapter 5. And I'm going to get, can, can we get some lights up here? Because I want everybody to be able to see this and read this and all that good stuff. And right now I kind of feel like I'm, I'm preaching in a very romantic restaurant. So here we go. Um, which is weird for me. I'm sorry. Maybe it's just me. Uh, thank you, bro. So, so here's the deal. Um, here's what you guys need to understand. Let me say this before I say anything else. Okay? Um, the first thing that you need to understand is that, um, and let me be very, very clear on this, uh, everyone experiences suffering, everybody does. Like whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you will experience suffering. And the reason I say that to you is because there's this crazy idea that some people actually teach that kind of goes like this. If you're a Christian, or if you're a Christian, the more you pray... And the more scripture you know, and the more Jesus songs you sing, and the more perfect attendance you have in church, and the the bigger smile you put on your face, if you do all those things correctly, you can somehow escape and avoid suffering. It's not true. Like that idea is a lie. Like it's literally poo. Like it, it just doesn't, it doesn't hold up. It's wrong. It is absolutely wrong. Christians suffer all the time. And you won't find an example in the Bible of somebody who loved God and was committed to God and was all about following Jesus who escaped suffering. The Bible's clear on this, okay? Here's why, I'm so, here's why I want to make sure we're on the same page. The Bible clearly communicates this through all of Scripture. For example, John 16, verse 33, Jesus Christ himself said, In this world, you will have trouble, period. Okay? So you've got to understand, Jesus was clear on the issue. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says this, Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. Translation, before you get to heaven, you will have a lot of suffering and a lot of struggle. It's the way that life is. Okay? And then there's another verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I want you to understand, like the theme throughout the Bible is, you're a non-Christian, you will suffer. You're a Christian, you'll suffer too. See, the question for the question, for the, for the question, um, I feel like a four-year-old, did you say Christian? I'm a Christian. Um, the question for the Christian, I said that five times fast. The question for the Christian is not, will I suffer? Let me say that again. Like the question for you, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, you've surrendered your heart and your life to him, the question for you is not, will you suffer? Yes, you will. The Bible makes that clear. Jesus makes that absolutely clear. You will experience suffering, some of us, horrific suffering during our lives. Okay? The question, the issue becomes this. Here, listen. The issue becomes this, not will you suffer, but this, when you do suffer... How will you respond to that suffering? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, when you suffer and you will, how will you respond to it? That's the, that's the issue. And let's just be honest, guys. Listen for a second. Let's just be honest. Some people, even Christians, when they suffer, they curse God. So that's the response to suffering is that I'm suffering and somebody died or I have a disease or I can't believe I've experienced this. And so God, you be cursed and they blame it on God. 
And that's the response that some people have, many people have, to suffering. Some people respond by, by running to substances, right? Running to Jack Daniels, running to the pills, running to the meth, and that's how I'm going to deal with my pain. And maybe at the end of the day, I'll get numb to the fact that I'm experiencing pain. That is how some people, even Christians, deal with suffering. And then there's some people that, that tragically kill themselves, Right? I mean, they experience suffering, they experience grief, they experience depression, and so they run to, to suicide. And so the question that James deals with and the issue that James deals with is his students, um, how can you suffer in a way that honors Jesus Christ? When we suffer, how can our suffering bring honor to Jesus Christ? And that's what James is going to talk about right here in these scriptures. So James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 7. And I'm going to ask you, listen up. Hey, listen, let me just say this once. And I love you guys, but because I love you guys, i got to tell you straight up this. If you're talking, I want you to stop. If you're talking, I want you to stop. And you can talk out in the lobby all you want to, but this is the time where I don't want anybody to miss the truth that's found in this scripture. Because when we talk about suffering and how we respond to suffering, I don't want anybody to miss this night because we'll all experience it. And if you don't know what to do, it's going to go bad for you. It's going to go bad for you. So I love you, and because I love you, shut up. Here we go. James chapter 5, verse 7. Here we go. James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, here's what he says. Um, how do we respond to suffering? Uh, verse 7, be patient. Uh-oh. <laughs> Stop right there. Uh-oh. Um, James starts off, here's what I love. Uh, James starts off by telling you exactly what you don't want to hear. And he starts off by telling me exactly what I don't want to hear. What, what do I do when I, when I suffer? How should I respond to my suffering? What should I do? Uh, first off, be patient. Does anybody else have a problem with this, or is it just me? I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Sunday morning, I left West Virginia. I left the mountaintop at 3.30 a.m. so that I could get back and make the nine-hour drive um, so that I could be back in time to spend Father's Day with my wife and my daughter. And so I left at 3.30 a.m., and I have to drive off of this mountain. I have to spend uh, 60 miles on a windy road through a mountain pass just to get to the interstate, okay? So I leave there. I'm on this two-lane road, and it wasn't, it wasn't very long before I got behind an old hoopty of a Cadillac going maybe 30 miles per hour. And I'm on a two-lane road, and it's through the mountains, so I cannot pass. And the only thing that I'm thinking, I mean, I begin to think the most awful thoughts about a person I've never met before in my life. Violent thoughts. I'm talking violent thoughts involving pit bulls and water hoses and fly swatters. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't, but don't ask. Um, I start to have these violent thoughts because, because here's the deal. Because I'm impatient. I'm an impatient man. Um... Three Saturdays ago, I think it was about three Saturdays ago, I woke up, and my wife can tell you, like, I woke up, and I go downstairs, and it's a relaxation day, so I walk downstairs, and I turn on the TV, and we have the Dish Network deal, and I find that I've got three channels, three, and they all involve, like, infomercials, and so I'm like, this rage boils up in me, and so I go and find the 800 number, and then I get the phone, and so I'm calling the Dish Network lady, and they're always so happy, hello, sir, how may I help you, and you just want to go, you messed me up, right, you ruined my life. Right? And so, um, being too transparent, um, so I tell her, and I couldn't even talk. Here's how impatient I am. I couldn't even formulate sentences. I was like, 
Three channels. Broken. Push button. What'd you do? Fix it. Right? I mean, that's how... Because I'm I'm an impatient man. Listen, I'm an impatient man. We're impatient people. And so, honestly, I'll be real with you. The last thing I want to hear when I go, "My, my life is difficult, my life is hard, this is very, very painful, God, and I don't understand it. The very last thing that I want to hear in my humanity is, be patient. But it's interesting to me that that's exactly the first thing that God says to us through James is when you're going through trials that are very hard and you even want to give up, first of all, be patient. And then he tells us why to be patient. Look at this. Why should we be patient? Look at what it says in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains You too, be patient and stand firm. In other words, be patient, oh yeah, and stand firm too. So not only be patient, but stand firm in trusting God. Don't run away from God. Don't bail out on God. Don't run to substances. Don't curse God. Don't run to other things. Not only be patient with your struggles, but also stand firm in your faith. Because the Lord's coming is near. So so get this. You need to understand. Here's the point that James is getting across to every single one of us. Here's why you should be patient in the midst of struggle and in the midst of pain. He says, because here's the deal. Um, The Lord is going to come back. And on the other side of your pain and on the other side of your suffering and on the other side of your struggle, if you don't bail out on God and curse God and run to these other things, but instead if you persevere, you will be rewarded. There is an incredible reward for those who are patient in suffering, which is why he uses the illustration of, hey, uh, okay, consider the farmer. Think about a farmer. And the farmer, the way in Israel that that it worked is is the farmer in the fall and the autumn would would, would sow the seed, would plant the seed, and then they'd have to wait on the rain and wait on the weather to be right. And then it wasn't until actually late in the spring where they were able to see the fruit of their labor. But he said, think about the farmer and the farmer has to be patient and the farmer has to wait and the farmer even sometimes has to go through some very, very difficult seasons where there's not much of a harvest. But in the end, there will be a reward for the farmer So if there's a reward for the farmer, how much more is there going to be a reward for you if you're patient in suffering? Now, you got to see where he's going. By the way, this is not a new idea for James. This is throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, I love this. One of my favorite verses. He says, for I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, uh... Life is painful, life sucks, this is bad, I don't like it, but the glory that will be revealed in us, what I will experience because of perseverance and patience and continuing to trust God is so unbelievably huge and and such a blessing that it can't even possibly compare to this struggle as hard as it may be. Uh, Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and Peter says this, right now for a little while you're suffering, for a little while. And it's hard and it's difficult and it's painful and you don't like it, but it's a little while. Okay? And then he goes on and you guys don't miss this. This is huge. This is awesome. Think of verse 9. Verse 9, he says, uh, Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged 
The judge is standing at the door. Now, now get this. This is important because um, what happens is whenever we suffer, we like to look for scapegoats. We like to look for people to blame. And so what he's saying is, hey, when you suffer, stop fighting with each other and stop blaming it on the people around you. Just be patient. Just calm down. Don't judge other people because it's going to go bad for you. And you're going you're to do something incredibly wrong. And remember, the Lord's going to judge you still for your sin. And so you need to remember that you, you can't just blame other people. And then he says in verse 10, look at this. I love this. I love this. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. Take the prophets. And if you have a pen, and if it's not sacrilegious, it's going to send you to hell for writing in your Bible. I want you to underline that right there where it says take the prophets. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now listen, students, because what he's saying here to me is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Here, get what James is saying here. It, it's stinking powerful. He's saying, um, you will suffer and life will get very hard. And life will get so hard that people will look at you and they would never want to be you because you experience some very, very hard, difficult, painful things. But when that happens, listen. If you're diagnosed with a disease and you don't understand why and it's tearing your body apart. If a friend betrays you, Right? If someone close to you dies, whatever the pain, whatever the suffering, whatever the struggle, whatever the hardship may be, listen, follow this. He says, when that happens, here's what you need to do. Here's the very practical thing for you to do. You need to get away to a very quiet place and you need to open up your Bible and you need to read about the prophets, which seems weird to some of us, right? That seems weird. We go, what? Especially if you don't know much about the prophets. The Old Testament prophets is who he's referring to. And if you don't know much about them, that that could seem weird. That could go, how is that going to fix my pain? How is opening my Bible and reading the stories about some dudes who lived, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands, in some cases years ago, how is that going to, like, help me in the midst of my pain and in the midst of my suffering? And and here's, here's why. Let me explain to you why. Because what you're going to find when you open up the Bible and read about the prophets is you're going to find people who suffered greater pain and greater loss and struggled more than you ever have in your life. And so what he's saying is this, when you struggle, run to your Bible, open it up, and read about the prophets whose pain and whose struggle, but whose faithfulness in the midst of their struggle serves as an example to you. Okay, so here's what that means. Here's what you're going to find. Um, you're going to open up your Bible. And you're going to find guys like Moses. And you're going to read about Moses and a lot of great, crazy things about Moses. But one of the things you're going to read about Moses is that you find that here's a guy who had to deal with years and years and years and decades of complaining from a bunch of people who, instead of being thankful for his godly leadership, complained about him over and over and over again. To the point that in Exodus chapter 17, Moses actually says to God, what should I do with these people? They want to kill me. They want to kill me. And over and over again, Moses is suffering because of these thankless people. He's got to lead through the desert on a mission from God. You see it? And these people were annoying. Annoying people. I mean, I'm talking these people. More annoying than a Twilight sequel. You know what I'm saying? Like unbelievably annoying. You know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. 
More annoying than a little kid who's got a cell phone nicer than mine, right? It didn't, didn't work, Bo. Sorry. Bo wrote that joke and sorry. Better luck next week. Um, here's what you're going to find. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find, Mo- listen, students, look at this. Look at this. Moses suffered. And he suffered more than any of us in this room have ever suffered in our lives. You're going to open up your Bible and you're going to find stories about a guy named David. And David who was on the run hiding in caves. Because Saul, the king of the nation, sent out bands of men with a mission. Kill David. And so David's suffering, hiding because his life is on the line from the king. He's suffering. You're going to open up your Bible and you're going to find the stories of, of, of men like Elijah. Elijah, who is, who is constantly, constantly running away from wicked King Ahab and his stank of a wife Jezebel because they are on a mission to hunt him down like a dog and murder him because he follows God and he loves God and they hate him because he loves God. And none of us have ever suffered like that. Then you're going to find stories, listen to this, this always fascinates me. You're going to find stories when you run to the prophets in the midst of your suffering. You're going to find stories like the story of Jeremiah. Here's the thing about Jeremiah. You need to study Jeremiah. Um, As a pastor, for me, uh, I run to the story of Jeremiah often because here's the thing about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, for years and years and years and years and years and years, for a long, 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 long time, preached to the people, and nobody listened. God told him, Jeremiah, I want you to preach to these people. And so Jeremiah, following God, preach to these people, and nobody listens. As a matter of fact, all he gets is grief and punishment. He gets beaten. He gets thrown in stocks. I mean, he gets, he gets thrown, locked up in prison. All he gets is grief from preaching. Over and over again, nobody listens until finally at one point, listen to what Jeremiah says at one point um, in Jeremiah 20, verse 14. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what he says. Listen to this. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, at one point is suffering so much that Jeremiah says this, cursed be the day I was born. The Bible's so encouraging, isn't it? May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. Do you get what he's saying? The dude who came to my dad and said, Your son's just been born. I hope bad stuff happens to him. (laughs) Could you imagine being that depressed? And then he doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says. This is the Bible. This is the scriptures. This is how I know, this is how I know God wrote it and not man because we don't write stuff like this because nobody would buy it. May the man be like towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end... My days in shame. You encouraged yet? Is your heart blessed? I want to bless your heart. Well, Christians shouldn't suffer. That's stupid. That's stupid, and it's totally unbiblical. Show me, prove it to me that they shouldn't suffer. I mean, you read the stories about the prophets, and it seems like all they did was suffer, but they were faithful to God. 
You're going to read the story about Ezekiel. Here's what trippy. Sometime, sometime in your life, you need, to, you need to go through and study Ezekiel chapter 24. Because here's what's crazy, what happens. God comes to the prophet Ezekiel. And check this out. God says to Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use you for my glory. And I'm going to do something in your life that's going to help people understand me more. And I'm going to get a lot of glory out of it. And Ezekiel goes, that's great, God. What is it? And God's response in Ezekiel 24 is this. I'm going to take your wife's life. Your wife is going to die. Suffering for the glory of God. Right? Stories they don't teach in children's church, right? Daniel. Run to the prophets. When you suffer, run to the prophets. Why? So you can see Daniel who is kidnapped. He was kidnapped from his home as a young man. And he was taken to a foreign, godless land. And he lived his entire life far away from his home and far away from everything he was born into and used to. And constantly made fun of, and not only made fun of, persecuted. And his life threatened all because he was faithful to God, run to him because you've never suffered like that. And yet he was faithful. He didn't curse God. He didn't run out on God. He, he trusted God. Run to the prophets. Why should you run to the prophets? Because you're going to see um, Hosea. Here's kind of an interesting story about the prophet Hosea. Read Hosea sometime because, again, God, in this incredible way, comes to Hosea and God says to Hosea, Hosea, um, here's the thing. I want you to live a life that shows people what I'm like. I want people to look at your life and by looking at your life to know that that's what God is really like. That's what God's character is like. And Hosea goes, okay, God, that sounds good. What do you want me to do? And God's response is this. See that prostitute over there? You're going to marry her. And she's going to cheat on you again and again and again and again. And throughout your entire message, she's going to sleep around. But you're going to stay with her. And that's going to show people that I am faithful to an adulterous people. And he suffered. He suffered. Run to the prophets. Why? Because you're going to see a guy like Amos. And Amos was a man who had his reputation completely slandered by the religious leaders who went around spreading lies about him and spreading lies even to the king about him so that his reputation was destroyed based on lies that none of which were true all because he answered God's call and was faithful to God, and he suffered. Run to the prophets, because you're going to find men like John the Baptist, who were bold for God, and who preached boldly, and who lived boldly, and called people to repent of their sin, because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was going to come, and so you need to repent. And he was rewarded, he was rewarded in the end, by being arrested, and having his head chopped off, by a wicked, evil king, who slept around with every woman, he could get his evil, wicked hands on. Listen, listen to me, listen to me students, listen. Um, None of us have suffered, listen, none of us have suffered like the prophets. I'm not saying you haven't suffered. I'm not saying you haven't struggled. 
All I'm saying is the likelihood is that none of us have ever suffered like these men. And that's why it says when you suffer, be patient and understand that Christ is coming back and understand that you need to get in a quiet place and look to the prophets who serve as an example for you because you've never suffered to that extent. No, no, here's, here's the thing and then we're going to end. Um, the point here is this just in case you haven't caught on, that there is an incredible reward for those who suffer patiently. Because right now, those same prophets who I just named off, they suffered greatly this side of heaven, but right now they are experiencing an unmatched reward that none of us in this room could possibly imagine, even if we tried. Their reward is great. And then look at this, verse 11. Verse 11. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In other words, this. Here's what he's saying, which blows my mind. He's saying that Job is an example of what God is up to when we suffer. This is unbelievable. He's saying, here, here's the thing. Um, when you suffer, read Job. Have you ever read Job? I mean, to me, it would go, when I suffer, read Job. How will that help? But, but here's the thing. Here's, here's the problem. You need to read Job if you've never read Job. And if you have read Job, you need to read it again. Because here's what happens. It's an incredible book. But what bugs me um, like crazy is that most people, when they read the book of Job, miss the entire point of the book of Job. And in this scripture, in James, he's trying to communicate to us what the overwhelming point of the book of Job is. See, scripture is interpreting scripture here. And he's trying to tell us, here's what the point of the book of Job is. So let me read that verse one more time really, really slowly. And then we're going to end this thing. He says, as you know, we consider blessed. In other words, um, happy, better off, experiencing incredible reward. We consider blessed those who have persevered translation suffered yet held on suffered yet pressed into God suffered yet pursued God and trusted God and worshiped God you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally important word and have seen what the Lord finally brought about the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And he just said something really, really trippy and crazy and insane. He just said the point of the book of Job is to show us the Lord's compassion and mercy. Which is nuts because, again, most people misunderstand the book of Job. Most people think of the book of Job and they go, okay, I read Job one time. Let me get this straight. Uh, God lets Satan basically do whatever he wants to Job. And so his whole family dies. Um, all of his cattle and, and way of making money, all of that is destroyed. He gets some nasty funk all over his body with boils, nasty, gross, sick boils all over his body. He's got some idiot friends who are giving him bad advice the entire book. And at the end, God yells at him. Okay. And if that's your impression of the book of Job, you completely missed the point of the book of Job. Because he just said the point of the book of Job is to show us the Lord's compassion and mercy. Why? Because you need to look for what the Lord finally did with Job because when you look at that you see what the Lord is finally going to do with you if you persevere in the midst of suffering so we need to look at what the Lord finally did with Job so in actually the book of Job I'm going to read this to you the book of Job chapter 42 
Job chapter 42, the very last chapter of the book of Job, um, here's what we read. And you don't have to turn there, but just listen up real quick. He says this. He says, um, after Job suffered, after Job went through all that mess, after Job listened to the lies of his friend, but he never turned his back on God, and he never cursed God, and he always trusted God, and even got to the point that he literally said in the book of Job, though you slay me, I will hope in you. Even if I die, even if you kill me, I will hope in you. I'm going to die. I'm going to trust in you. After all that, here's what happens. Verse 7, Job 42. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz and Timonite, those are his idiot friends, um, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. You see in the theme, um, Job never gave up on me. Job persevered. Job suffered way more than you idiots ever did and he still trusted in me and he still held on to me and he still knew that I was God. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now check this out. This is awesome. Here's what we miss about the story of Job. Here's what we miss the very, very end, the point of the story of Job. That the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And yes, we will suffer. But for those who persevere and those who hold on to God, when they suffer, there is a reward. Maybe this side of heaven, probably the other side of heaven, there is a great reward for those who persevere. Verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends... The Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Okay, then then stop. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. So he's got some bling to go with it. Verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. That's the point. Suffering, suffering, suffering. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima. I love that. I'm not making that up. Spelled the same way and everything. The first daughter he named Jemima. The second, Keziah. And the third, Karan Hapuch. She got the wrong end of the deal. Um... Nowhere in the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. Dang. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation and so he died old and full of years. Students, listen. Don't miss the point. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, um, look to the prophets. So, and by the way, remember Job because the whole point of the book of Job is this. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy and though you suffer, though you suffer and you will. You will suffer. If you persevere and if you trust him and if you have the same attitude of Job and say, though you slay me, I will hope in you because this life is not about me. It's about you. If you live humble adoration of God the Father in the midst of your suffering like that, there is reward that you can't possibly even imagine waiting for you. Here's, here's, the, here's the end statement. Here's the end statement. 
Here's the point. Here's what we're driving towards tonight. If you're a Christian, listen, students, listen. If you're a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, you've realized that you can't save yourself. You don't have what it takes. You don't have enough under the hood to save yourself. You can't do it. We're all sinners. But you need Christ. He's the one who shed his blood for you on the cross. He's the one who rose again from the grave, proving he's the Messiah, defeating death, hell, and the devil. He's the only way you can have a relationship with God. He's it. And if you trusted in him and surrendered to him, here's what that means. Bottom line, here's what that means. You will suffer in this life, but here's the the good news. This life, though you suffer, is the closest to hell you will ever get. This life, though you suffer, and you will, is the closest to hell that you will ever get. However, if you continue to reject Jesus, and some of you are, if you continue to say, oh, that's stupid, and that guy's screaming at me, he doesn't know what he's talking about, and that Bible, man, it's just ancient. Dude, the guy lived 140 years. Yeah, right, who believes that kind of crap, right? If you continue to reject Christ and run away from Christ and and put your hand up towards the Lord, this earth, though you suffer and you will suffer, is actually the closest to heaven you'll ever get. Which is tragic. And the Bible tells us that the only way you can have a relationship with God, the only way, the only way, is that you repent of your sin. You're hard-hearted. You live your life all about you. You take no regard for anybody else's needs. You don't put the needs of others in front of yours because you are all about yourself because you're lost and you're living in your sin. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, you are by nature an object of wrath. You are spiritually dead right now. Spiritually dead. And though you were created in the image of God, you are not a child of God. John chapter 1 says, to those who believed in Jesus, the one that he had sent, to those he gave the right to be called children of God. So though you were created in the image of God and though God loves you, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and placed your faith and trust in him, you are not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. You're a child of wrath. And tonight, if your life were to end, you would spend eternity in a Christless hell apart from God forever. An eternal conscious torment forever. But tonight, if you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be saved. Not because of anything you've done. We call it meritless salvation for a reason. And it's because there's no merit in you, of no merit of your own, because of nothing you did. You were a pagan, you were a messed up jerk who had walked away from God and was living for yourself. But because of God's grace and because of what God did, you can be saved. What kind of a God says this? Hey, you've sinned and you deserve death, so here's what I'll let you do. I'll let you murder me. You can murder me so that you can be saved. Murder me so you can be saved. That's exactly what God did through Christ. That's exactly what he did. And it's only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior that he died on the cross in your place for your sin. It's only through that that you can be saved. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him, period. And if you reject, and if you reject, and if you reject, and if you reject, and when you died, this world was the closest to heaven you'd have ever gotten. Let's pray. We're going to have a few moments just to Think about this stuff, but here's what I'm going to ask you. Um, And I'm just going to ask this once, and we're just going to see.
what's up, and if not, we're going to move on to let the Lord do something else. If there's, uh, if there's anybody in this room right now who would say, Anson, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior tonight. I want to do that. I want to do that for the very first time. I want to trust Him as Savior so that I can be a child of God. I want to believe. I want to put my faith in Him so that I can be saved. The promise of heaven when I die. The promise of a relationship with God here on this earth. If there's anybody that wants to do that, here's what I'm going to ask you to do just so that I can see you. I'm just going to ask you, uh, anybody at all, just to raise your hand. And you say, I like, I'd like to know Christ. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior tonight. Anybody? Anybody? Awesome. 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 Those of, those of you with your hands raised, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay? I'm just going to ask you to do this. Um, immediately at the end, immediately at the end of tonight, um, and I want you to remember this because it's going to be easy to forget with all this stuff happening, but at the, immediately at the end of tonight, which is right after this song that's played, I just want the five or, or six of you who I just saw, um, just to, I'm going I'm to stand right down here in this corner, and I want you to walk over to me and, and talk to me. Um, now, here's what you may be thinking. Oh, that, oh that's scary. I, I know, I know. I know it. It's bold. It's bold. But tonight, if the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, and he is if you raise your hand, then we need, to, we need to talk. Because tonight, you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you need to know what it means to have a relationship with the Lord. And so I'm going to invite you. Nobody's going to force you. Nobody's going to make you. I'm not going to track you down, but I'm going to invite you. God's doing something in your heart to respond right after this song. The rest of us, um, we suffer, we suffer, we suffer, we suffer, we suffer indeed. This life is full of suffering. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. So he said, you'll have trouble, but take heart. Not because you're cool, but because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Put your faith and your trust in me. You don't have what it takes. Put your trust in me. I have what it takes. Jesus has what it takes. So tonight, um, I don't know how you might be suffering, what you might be dealing with, but I'm going to invite you um, to do two things. Uh, And we don't do this um, really ever, um, but I'm going to invite you to, during this song, if if you're suffering right now or have or feel like you're about to, I'm going to invite you kind of a little makeshift altar up here at the front to come down and bow and just worship the Lord, pray. Um, And basically, it's not more spiritual to do that. It's just a physical way that you can show the Lord, hey, I mean this, and and I'm I'm putting all my strength and all my trust in you. And and though I'm suffering, I want to be patient. And though I'm suffering, I want to look to the prophets. And though I'm suffering, I want to look at Job and see that you are full of compassion and mercy. And so help me, help me, Lord. So if that's you during this song, I'm going to invite you to come down to to the front here and just maybe bow, take a knee, and just ask the Lord what you need to ask him, tell the Lord what you need to tell him, whatever that looks like for you, and the rest of us to respond um, to respond in worship, singing a song that I think um, pretty accurately reflects what it means to suffer and yet continue to be patient and trust in him. So Father, I pray for those whose hearts that you're working in right now, who lifted a hand and said, I, I, I want to I know Christ I want to know, I want to, yeah, I need that. And I pray, um, this is a different way that we're doing this tonight, Lord. So I pray that you give them the courage and the boldness to respond in a few minutes uh, for me to have the privilege and the gift of having a conversation with them. Um, And Lord, right now, would we respond to you in a way that honors you? Those who need to come and just take a knee and worship and pray and cry out to you in the midst of their suffering, would they do so? Would we not sing lies to you right now, but would we sing truth? we trust and we hold on in the midst of our pain and our suffering and I pray it all in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.